continuing in the book of James this morning. We'll be in James chapter 4. Just looking at a couple of verses, verses 11 and 12 uh, specifically this morning. So uh, let's go ahead and read those verses. Verse 11 and verse 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now this is actually rather difficult passage uh, simply because of the word game that's, that James is doing here but uh, hopefully we can, I can get you through it um, taking a closer look at it's it starts out pretty clear where he's just saying uh, you know do not speak evil against one another now there's the the, the speak evil is uh, also the idea of slander so that you can understand. Don't speak slanderous of somebody. Uh, uh, the idea of slander here is to speak falsely. Or actually, you can speak a partial truth and slander somebody. In fact, you can even speak the truth and slander somebody because of the way you word it, the way you use it, or because of the embarrassment that it can cause when it wasn't necessary. And so, this idea of speaking evil is... is tied to this idea of, of even harsh criticism, uh, condemnation. It's a, it's a rather broad term. So uh, to speak evil, to slander, is, is we're not to do this of one another. And you notice how he says that brothers. And if you have probably uh, possibly a footnote that draws you down to the bottom of your page and says, or brothers and sisters. Um, when the Scripture uses brothers, it's using it generically. It's, I know how difficult that is for some people at times, but the, the reality is that's how it does it. Uh, and, and so when it's speaking here, it's speaking of believers. And so it's speaking to the, the, the believers, people who are in, uh, in fellowship together, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God, and he's saying, don't speak evil of one another. And then he goes on to say, you know, uh, speak against a brother is the same as judging a brother, and, and implied is, the, is the phrase that would come before that. To do so, to speak evil of a brother, would be to speak against a brother. And to judge a brother. And the idea of judge brother here is to pronounce an opinion or uh, concerning right and wrong. And so here we are, it's the idea of slander, harsh criticism, condemnation. Uh, uh, the idea is, is as we speak that, we are in a sense pronouncing judgment on somebody. And, and we're doing so as to saying, what's right or what's wrong in their lives. And you'd, thought, you'd start to say as you look at this, uh, if we're not to do this, how could we ever correct somebody? 
And we could go to Matthew chapter 7, which we will in a few minutes, and, and look at the idea where it says, do not judge lest you be judged, and this type of thing. When they're speaking of this, it's, it's not the idea of not coming alongside someone, because the Scripture also says, if you see a brother in sin, go to him privately or quietly and, and, and bring correction. And if we went to Matthew 18, we would have a series of if a brother sins against you or if you have sinned against a brother. But this one, if a brother has sinned against you, go to that person and, and try to reconcile and make peace. If that can't happen, bring a few of the, the, the elders together to go with you and, and, and speak to them. And if that is, uh, is not resolved and the elders are in harmony with you that there's a wrong that's been done and it can't be corrected and there's a refusal, there might be a necessity to bring it to the congregation even. But the idea is, is what we're talking about here is more of a, a sense of gossip and slander, speaking of someone uh, in, a, in such a way as to... Uh, judge where their walk is, where their growth is. And I think the easiest way for me to look at it is what James is concerned about is the same thing that Jesus was concerned about on the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 about not judging lest you be judged and this type of thing, is that the example that these people had, and remember who James is writing to, Jewish audience primarily that have become Christians, the, the, audience, the, the people, the, the examples that they have had have been Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, uh, priesthood, which all had this idea of, of, of superiority in the sense that the Pharisees, for instance, would look at the common person and say, Jesus is hanging around the common people. They didn't say it that way. They said, Jesus is hanging around the, 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 the drunkards and, and, and sinners. Well, for a Pharisee, Anybody who wasn't a Pharisee, basically, or, or in a hierarchy of, of, of the structure of the Hebrew people, were sinners. Above and beyond anything that they would do. So they can look at them and say, oh, look, you, you drink too much, or you do this too much, or you do that too much, or you're, you, don't, you don't know the Scriptures well enough, and, and, and it's constant judgment. And so that being their background, you can see understand, understand here how James is coming to this point where he's saying, we're not going to be like that as believers. In the body of Christ, that is not the way it's to be done. We are to not bring that kind of legalism and harshness and judgmentalism to, to the, uh, within, the, within the body of Christ and the, within the body of believers. So to speak against a brother is to judge a brother. And the idea of, of, of judging is, is to make yourself the authority. And the assumption is, by the way, when, when judgment gets into the picture, and James is intentionally putting this here, this thought here, when judgment comes into the picture, the assumption is you know what this person is going through. You know what has happened in their lives. You know what's going on where they are. You know if they've had a good day or a bad day. You know if you know all of the things that are going on. Have you ever been like even at a supermarket and the and the, and the clerk is uh, abrupt with you? And the tendency is to to be abrupt back, <laughs> or or walk away and say, well, man, that person was rude. 
you don't know what they might have just gone through with a, with a, a couple of people before you in the sense of, of, of working things out. I've, I've seen some amazing things at, at checkout lines. And, and so the, the goal for a believer would be when you see a, a, a person is having a rough time is to try to get a smile on their face. If you don't succeed, don't be harsh about it. Just try to be kind, be nice. I look at their name and I, and I call them by name and say, thank you. It's, it's so easy to do. In other words, what James is basically saying is there's two ways we can go about our lives. We can go about our lives looking for opportunities to judge. Put it, and by the way, that makes us superior in some way. We'll look at that a little closer in a moment. Or we can look at a, at a way to edify and to build up. And by the way, Peter says to edify and build up. Paul says to edify and build up. Jesus says to edify and build up. So you can get a, a running thing here that, that makes it very clear as to how Christians should respond to going through the day-to-day routine of the world. And this is how we should treat non-Christians as well. But even more so within the framework of the body, these are our brothers and sisters. We are of like mind in the reference to who Christ is. Now, another side of this is, is to where the church was getting involved in, in forms of legalism. There were Judaizers in the church. They were saying that we had to, in a, almost in a sense, we had to be go through all the Jewish part of, 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 of faith before we could turn around and then become messianic Jews. We had to, to be in order. And that might include circumcision and different things that, that they had decided weren't necessary, but there was still a, a party of the circumcision, if you will. And, and, and there's the, the, we see the various kinds of legalism in the early church centered around some of that. Well, I've seen legalism in my lifetime in a church centered around things that, that the Scripture doesn't speak to. No dancing. Well, David, that was an exception. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, it says that you know, that was an exception. Um, and, and no smoking. Well, years ago, before smoking was known to be a serious health issue, some of our most well-respected uh, theologians smoked. Jonathan Edwards smoked a pipe. Charles Spurgeon smoked big cigars. You know, and now today, you know, uh, we know smoking is hazardous to your health. I can therefore say to you, it's not a wise thing to be smoking. And since we're to look at our bodies as a temple, the, the, the idea of smoking is not a, a good idea. Can I say, thou shalt not smoke? I'm not, not in, in a legalistic sort of way. Yet I recall a church that I was in. Uh, I'd only been there for a couple weeks. I had no idea about the rules. They were unwritten. That, you know, when you, you know, you did, that nobody handed me the rule book when I walked in. And it included no drinking, no smoking, no dancing, no movies. Uh, you know, and and uh, we were at an air show and they had a, a beer stand. And I, was, I had a couple of beers and I had my cigarettes going, and I was watching the air show, and, and, and a couple of people from the church walked by, and they snubbed me. I, I, I thought, well, they didn't recognize me. 
Well, no, I got a lecture from one of the, the elders, and then when he came back, he, he set me up. I think I've shared this story with you before. He, he said, oh, hey, Bob, I, he was a supplier, and I've got things for, for my business from his shop. And, and so he said, uh, one of our salesmen gave me a deck of cards. I don't need them. Would you like them? I said, oh, sure. And I put them in my pocket along with my smokes, and, and, and I started to walk out. And he says, oh, wait a minute, Bob, come back here. Christians don't play cards. He'd set me up. And he says, and Christians don't smoke. And I heard, he'd heard, he wasn't there. He'd already heard that I had had a couple of beers and was smoking at the air show. We don't do those things. I, I kind of said, you know, oh, I don't. So I remember meeting with the pastor. I said, what else do we not do? You know? Um, now, I will tell you something, though. The timing was that that legalism, God used it to help me do what? Quit smoking, quit drinking, and, and, and I needed to do both desperately. So I'm not, I, I can't say that God can't use that, but to make it the rule, to make it a way of judging, making it a way of, 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 of assessment to, to whether you're, you're drawing into the Lord or not, I know people that have smoked almost their whole lives as Christians, but they are more spiritual than some of the spiritual people, with quotations, uh, in the church. Uh, so, this idea of, of, of looking at someone, we're, we're prone to judge on appearances. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, uh, the church was booming with uh, the, the, the Jesus movement. And the majority of the people coming into the Jesus movement were coming in, the, they were hippies, use the term of the times. And it wasn't uncommon for them to be in baggy clothes and bearded and, and longer, long hair. And, and uh, I, I remember uh, being in church and, and uh, Sunday nights we sang all these hymns. Well, they were the hymns that I had learned even before I was a Christian, because Kathy's mom uh, would play them. And then when I started looking and reading the Bible, she started letting me play them out in my shop. And they were Tennessee earning forward, you know, hymns, you know, swing low, you know, low. Uh, and, and, uh, and all these songs. And, and, and so I, could, I sang, and, and so I've got a baritone voice. And, and this one person who was in the choir Sunday morning said, you need to be in the choir. Sure, why not? They, you know, that sounds like fun. And so I got in the choir, and I remember as we were in the choir, the choir stayed up the whole time until just before the sermon, and, and, and someone walked in, and it was a, a young couple, leather vests, beads, uh, sandals, the whole nine yards of typical hippie. And, they, and there's about four people down, one person saying, look what the wind blew in today. It made me wonder what they thought when I came in. Because I wore Levi's that were stained from my shop. I wore tennis shoes. I had long hair. And I had a full beard. I've had a full beard since 1968. I wondered what the comments were about me. And I did. I thought about it then. Am I supposed to shave? No, I didn't. Nobody's told me that one yet. You know? You see what I'm getting at? 
we can get distracted with side issues. Some of them valid, some of them not. But God says that's not the way we approach it. The way we approach it is with the intent to build up, to lift up, and, and you, you, you let God do the timing on it. Some people, you know, they come into the, as Christians and, and as soon as they accept the Lord, God does some amazing things and they're, they, they, they're, they're off the drugs, they're off the alcohol, they, 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 they square around and, and, and amazing changes. Others struggle for a season. Well, you look over here and you look at this testimony and you say, wow, look what God's done. wonder what these people are doing wrong. You know? You can get to that way of looking at things. So James was concerned about people falling into the habit of the Pharisees and churches falling into the habit of the synagogues of being judgmental about the people and, 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 and where they stood with God. And so he says if you, if you're, if you speak evil of them, if you, and when you speak evil means you're making an assessment negatively about somebody. Okay, and and if you speak evil of them, you sl- you're slandering them, and as a result, you're judging them. Don't do this. Don't speak against a brother because it's actually pronouncing a judgment. And then he goes on to say it speaks evil against the law. It judges the law. The idea of judging here, it discerns again the meaning of something or the importance of something. And I'm thinking, how? How does it, how does it judge the law? And what James is doing is he's playing a little bit of a word game here in the sense of, of, of something that a Hebrew might catch a lot faster than, than somebody else. That would include me. Um, but... What he's going to doing is going back to something he's already mentioned in, in, in chapter 2. The royal law. Does anybody know, if you want to be brave today, we're a small group. Uh, does anybody know what the royal law is? It's the same as the great commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it to Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? Why, it can be anybody that's next to you. Look at this story. And the story of the Good Samaritan coming along and, 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 and helping the Jew who had been beaten and robbed. And three other Jewish people passed by, but they were too much in a hurry to, to be at the temple. They, they didn't want to be unclean. They didn't want to, and as a result, they didn't do what God commands them to do and that was to come alongside. In a sense, they judged the situation on their behalf. They said, I can't, you know, this, is, this man is unclean. I can't touch him. And they walked on. The Samaritan comes along, nurses this guy on the spot, and then takes him to an inn and, and pays the bill and then says, if he needs more time to recover, when I come back, I'll pay the difference. You can see the difference in attitude. One, it's just it's night and day. So this idea of love your neighbor as yourself is, is, is not just your neighbor or not just your brother or sister in the church, but it's the person God's put you next to for the moment. Whoa. 
What if he puts me next to a, a, a homeless person? Or what if he puts me next to a, a, a person who's had a little too much to drink? Well, I'll just step away. That's the tendency to do. Maybe I should pray and ask God, is there any way I can come alongside this person? I did that in my past, and I've done it, and some amazing things have happened. Quite interesting. Now, I don't recommend doing it indiscriminately without thinking, risking you know the idea of health and limb and that type of thing. But the other side of it is, God can use you in so many different ways. But we kind of have an attitude, oh, that has nothing to do with me, you know, when God might be calling you over there. Kind of a side note to all of this. Um, I, I, I emphasized this a minute ago. The idea is, is sometimes when we read Matthew 7 and we read this in James, the idea is, is that we can't judge anyone. Uh, and this is not what Jesus and James are writing about, so I think I've clarified that pretty well. Uh, what is being condemned is, is uh, put forth by a, a couple of, of commentaries. The spirit of self-righteousness. And if you look at the place it is in the Scripture, it has to do with pride. The Scriptures that we just read dealing with being humble. Now James jumps into an example of a place where it should apply. We, we, we need to be humble. When we come across someone who's got a life that is not as mature spiritually as your own, you don't judge them. You come alongside them. And you seek the opportunity to minister. Um, so, what, what he was looking at was, was the idea of, of, of again, uh, Judaizers, the party of the circumcision. Also, the debate about food. You can go into Romans and talk about that. Uh, legalism, dance, I, I put that in there already, dance and cards and movies, that type of thing. We want to be careful that these things don't become a dominant and as a result become the way we assess what people are doing. And the interesting thing is that none of these things normally are written down anywhere. It's not like in the bylaws. It's just who we are. And I have found most interesting was the church that I was in and the denomination that it, the, 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 it was, well, it was non-denominational, but a brotherhood, a brotherhood of churches. And they, they were all independent, but they, they had a like mind and they had conferences and stuff. And, and this, we shall not smoke. And then I, I got it to, to Bible college and a couple of people smoked. And they were from the, from the South. And I found out that the same group of churches in, in, in Tennessee and North Carolina, they had ashtrays outside the, the door because the growers of tobacco would put their smokes out before they went in. Well, it wasn't convenient to have no smoking as a rule there. Interesting side note. So we want to be careful as to what we make important and how we start to assess people and judge people that are around us. Uh, a 
pastor by the name of Steve Cole out of Arizona, he, he, he wrote this, this thought. Here's how we do that. We do whatever we are assuming the worst about somebody. Uh, we do that what, whenever we are assuming the worst about somebody else. Whenever we judge somebody immediately and assume the worst about that person and quickly categorize him or her, we are really good at that in conservative, in conservative reformed circles. In other words, we're really good at doing this, judging things. Uh, we love labels. We love to categorize people very quickly and put, in, and put them in a box and leave them there and put a label on them. I saw it happen to friends. had it happen to me. And when we were in that position, James says what was really happening when we judge that way is we speak evil against one another. We're judging the law. We need to take in the full measure of what uh, the measure of that. What does he mean by the law here? What does he have in mind? Probably Leviticus 19, 8, verse, chapter 19, verse 18, which Jesus tells us is one of the two great commandments. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That probably, that's probably what James has in mind here. So the judgmental person is saying to God when he judges another person, your law doesn't matter. I hear what you're saying, God. Love your neighbor as yourself. But see, I don't agree with that. Now, we would never come directly out and say that, but that's the spirit that we are carrying into God's law. In other words, we wouldn't start out and say God's law doesn't matter. But when we judge this way, when we use these kinds of criteria as our judgments and the way we assess people and their walk, that's exactly what we're doing. So we've actually judged the law, God's law as what? Not adequate. It doesn't go far enough. It needs a little bit more help, and I'm willing to give it. I already addressed this a little bit, but it says, you know, my next question for myself was, where does this judgmental attitude come from? Self-righteousness, pride in some form. Again, leading into a form of legalism. And so it said, he goes on to say uh, in, in verse 11, he says, uh, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. I thought that's interesting. And, and again, it's a play on words here a little bit. And he says, you're not a doer of the law, which has gone through all of this previous about you need to be a doer not, you know, of, of, of works in order to your faith to be validated. Not that, that you get validated before God because of your works, but because you are validated before God, you do the works. And so, you know, James has already said this thing about faith. And I realized, and, and, and then I, I found a couple of people that agreed with me, so I knew I was right, um, that what he was looking at was, I think, what Jesus said about, the, the, again, the scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. Chapter 23 of Matthew. It's called the seven woes. Uh, take a quick look at Matthew. Chapter 23. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'm just going to hit a couple of them. Uh, 
verse 23 is, a, is one of them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. In other words, they were, they were, they were really getting good at, at narrowing things down to little things. And yet, they were ignoring the major things that God had called them to do. One of the things that they were ignoring were their parents. Jesus comments to them on this. He says, you have a duty to your parents to honor, to honor them. And he said, instead you're declaring all your belongings as something that belongs to the Lord and to the work of God, and as a result, I can't support my parents. And you neglect them. And, and, and it was an interesting thing. God used that with me to correct something that I was thinking. My mom, my stepmom, terminal cancer patient in the 80s, She'd gone to her daughters to live. They never had gotten along. My, my mom had a very harsh mouth. The, the nicest compliment you could get was, that's nice, but... And then we'd go on through a, a long dissertation of what was not quite right. And uh, my sister sent her home. Didn't tell anybody. She just sent her home. She thought, so I get a call from her neighbor saying, do you know that your mom's here? Uh, she can't take care of herself and she's in her, in her mobile home and, and she's in trouble. So I took down, there was a three-day weekend that came up. I took off and went down to, to Southern California where she was. And sure enough, she was in trouble. <laughs> and I came home and I said, but Lord... Our church was in the middle of moving into a big building program. I was the administrator of the Christian school that was going to be a part of that building program. And we had all this stuff going on in the plants, and I was the one working with the architect and stuff. And I said, Lord, I can't go. I can't go. And then a scripture came up, something about David not building the temple. And I thought, oh, I wonder who that's for. I wonder if it's for the senior pastor. Then, that was in my personal devotions. A week later, a missionary from the pulpit, not a charismatic man, said, Bob, this scripture is for you. And it was the same scripture. Everybody looks, oh, it's for him. Uh, and uh, when I went down south again to check on my mom, a friend of mine who comes out of the most conservative, anti-charismatic church you've ever seen said, I've never done this before, but Bob, this is for you. And it was a different scripture, but the same passage. You see, God told David that in more than one place. I got the, the message, but I kept saying, God, who's going to do all of this? Who's going to do all of this? And then the, the scripture of the Pharisees and not taking care of and honoring your mother and your father. 
shared it with the elders. We all prayed about it, and we decided that's I needed to leave. Go take care of her. That's what we did. I'm not wanting to toot my horn. God had to drag me into this. What I'm trying to get at is, is, is that, you know, the Pharisees wouldn't take... I was being pharisaical in a sense. I was saying, this is more important than this law. And so what was I doing? I was judging the laws. This isn't as important as this one. I was putting rank to them. God doesn't... Which law do you break that's the worst? Oh, wait. If you break one law, you're guilty of the whole law. So what we get here is James is trying to make sure we understand that there needs to be compassion. There needs to be looking at the Word of God and to the best of our abilities, bringing a harmony into this, a symphonic picture into this, and following the Word of God, even if it's inconvenient for you. Even if it's difficult for you. Even if it doesn't make sense for you at this moment. There are times where you step out in faith and are obedient. And it's amazing what God can and will do in those circumstances. And uh, there's other, the other woes that you can look at there, just, uh, but that just gives you that picture. Um, to speak evil is to, is, 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 uh, is to judge the, 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 a brother. To speak evil of a brother is to judge a brother. Uh, and, and, and there's another term for this that I wanted to bring in here. And that's the attitude of having a critical spirit. Some of us have gone through this in our lifetime, sometimes repetitively, but we find out that we have a critical spirit. In fact, I'll have a critical spirit about something and I'll get so critical that I become hypercritical. Now, you want to know the difference. Critical means I'm looking at somebody and seeing over and over and over again things that they're not doing right and I'm becoming judgmental. Thinking they're doing this wrong. So, and, and, and the question mark is, who do I bring this up to? What do I do about it? And I, and I get sidetracked about it. Then I become, if I stay in that mode long enough, I'll become hypercritical. Hypercritical means that even when they do something right, I will find something wrong. I become my stepmom. Yes, but. That's not Christian. That's not of Christ. To be a cynic, if you will. It's, it's not a, a, to be a, have a critical spirit. It's destructive to the one that, that has it and it's destructive to the one that it's pushed onto. And again, we're not trying to talk about being discerning or uh, ignore uh, fallen natures of the world and this type of thing. We, we, we are called to be an assessment of that. For instance, as a church, we are called to make an assessment, a judgment, a, a, a statement about certain things that are going on in the world that are not of God. Can you think of some of those things? Abortion is the first one that seems to always come to mind. Uh, you know... Uh, 
and and uh, the the issues of, of of gender issues, transgender, homosexual, all of these different things that churches are wrestling with all over the uh, the, the world, really, and and so there are points where we're called to make statements. But where do we go to get our answers? We go to the Scripture to see what the Scripture says about it. Like I said, it doesn't talk about it. Somebody says, well, you know, the idea is you're not supposed to drink. It says you're not supposed to drink. I said, no, it says you're not supposed to drink much. And elders are not to be given over to wine, which means excessive drinking. If drinking was in an inherent evil, the Scripture would say, thou shalt not drink. But it says, moderation. Somebody says, well, do you drink, Bob? No, I don't. Two reasons. One is that I can be a stumbling block to somebody else. But, more seriously, it gets a hold of me and I don't know when to stop. So I don't drink at all. But it's not because the Scripture says thou shalt not drink. But it's an interesting thing. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I got past the drinking. James, going back to James, he makes it really, really clear how we're to conclude this. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you? But who are you to judge your neighbor? In other words, there's only one who has the power, really authority to judge. Who is it? Jesus Christ. God, through Jesus Christ. It says, Jesus says in Matthew 28, All the authority has been given unto me. And He proves that through His teachings. Matthew 25, when he's talking about separating the sheep and the goat. He's the one that has the authority. And what is it that makes him distinct? He has the power to save and he has the power to destroy. I have neither. I have the power to injure, to, to wound, or I have some ability possibly to lift up and to encourage. But I don't have the authority to judge. I don't have the qualifications. None of us have the qualifications. That's really what James is driving for here. That was what Jesus was driving This isn't your job. This isn't your calling to judge. Because it has to do with ultimately what's the final outcome of judgment. Deciding who lives and who dies eternally. It's not our call. We're to come alongside and when we find someone that's wounded and needs help or has gone the wrong way, we're not to come up and say, you wicked, evil person. We're to come alongside and say, what can I do to help you get past this and, and maybe the opportunity to share the Lord with them. Maybe God will put you between an alcoholic and, 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 and his, his bottle for 24 hours. I've seen it happen. I've seen people, situations where that has happened, where somebody came alongside a, a person who was an alcoholic and, and he, and he t- found him stumbling, took him home, and realized that he had all these bottles stashed. And everyone he pulled out, he says, give it to me. And he poured it down the sink. And he stayed with that man all night long. 
By the way, that man's sober. Didn't get sober right away. But he was blown away that anybody would care that much. I love those stories. I love those situations. I look at, 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 at how we, when, when we come along, we, what God is developing in us is, is a new nature. Through the Holy Spirit, He's changing who we are. So that we come along and we, we become people like Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, offering ourselves as living sacrifices so we won't be tra- uh, conformed to the world, but transformed into the likeness of Christ is what is implied. Okay, and, and, and that's what we're to be looking at. Or Philippians 4, 8 and 9, how we think is so important. Dwell on, and then he has a whole list of good things, the positive things to dwell on. He says the world is full of people who want to dwell on the negative. Man, I don't like the ring. Brad knows that so well about me. Where I grew up, you know, three to eight inches was annual rainfall. And they say 30% chance of rain. You knew it wasn't going to rain. Up here is 30% chance of rain. It rains 30% of the day. Now, now, when we moved up here, we moved up here in one of the rainiest years it had for a while, 1982. I don't know how many times the, the, the river went over banks and, and for, uh, Ferndale got some flooding and we got flooding around the, the uh, center around Ray's Market there and stuff like that where they finally put in a culvert big enough to handle it. And, and uh, Kathy and I wondered what we had gotten into. We'd never seen this much rain in our lives. I mean, we, we had almost as much rain in that one year because it went up into the 60s or whatever, you know, as we'd experienced up to that point in our lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and so it was a, it's a, been a hard adjustment for me to get used to the rain. But, Brad, thank you for your encouragement. Um, we, we want to, you know, in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to read the, the way it needs to go, is starting around the 14th verse on to the end. It talks about building up, lifting up, encouraging, having encouraged. Don't say a word, but that it is what? One that builds up, lifts up, encourages. By the way, Jesus does tell us something very sobering. We are accountable for every word we say. Somebody says, well, that's only for non-Christians. No. First Corinthians talks about judgment for the believer, too. We will be held accountable for the way we reuse the resources that God has given us. And I do believe we will go through an accounting. Doesn't mean we're, you know, that it's just that it's going to be a very sobering moment. I really believe. And we might even be a little surprised. So we have these scriptures that, and again, it's Peter, it's Paul, it's Jesus, uh, constantly reminding us to be thinking in a positive way. And I don't mean like the thinking positive pie in the sky, everything's hunky dory on the way to glory. You know, um, there are going to be times where we're, we're sad. There's going to be times where we are grieving together. And by the way, the body of Christ, when one grieves, we what? We all grieve together. When one mourns, we mourn together. When one has joy, we celebrate together. And so I put this, this uh, 
a, a, a couple things in mind here as to, to what to do. Um, when somebody, you know, a lot of times the way uh, the idea of, of, of slander gets going is it's passed on how? One to another to another. And people, it's amazing it's, it, it's, it, how we are. And we all tend to be a little bit like this. I know something you don't know. Let me tell you. And you can't wait to be the first one to share it with somebody. And you know, then you find out that they already saw it on Facebook. You know? But anyway. There are some things that when somebody comes to you with a report about someone else that maybe you should think about. Now, I'm not a... I don't know how many of you are familiar with Bill Gothard. Well, I'm not a Gothardite. I did go to a number of seminars. Uh, I went to pastor seminars and, and stuff. I got a tremendous amount of blessing out of a lot of the teaching. Some of the teaching, I think, was overboard and actually got to the point where it might even, it did turn into some congregations judgmental. You know, we have to be careful with those things. But the thing was is that he had the idea of how it is that you, you know, the things of your past, uh, you know, uh, that, that influence who you are. And I thought the things that are on my belief window is really a simple way to put it. And, but he had a list of five questions regarding when somebody brings a, a gossip to you. What is your reason for telling me this? It's a tough question to answer sometimes. What is your reason for telling me this? Well, um, you know, uh, you probably need to know so you don't get caught up and taken up in it. Or so, you know, people have to think about that. How do you know where did you get your information? Have you gone to the person or persons? To seek to restore them. That's a biblical mandate. Have you checked out the facts yourself? In other words, do you know for sure you're passing on truth or are you unsure? If you're unsure, you shouldn't pass it on. If I go to check this out, Steve, I'm going to pick on you. Steve, you've got some information that you've given me. And I say, if I go to check this out, can I mention your name as the source? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and the immediate thing is, is that you, it's very sobering. Well, I don't know if I want my name mentioned that way. Well, if you don't, then it's not... It, now, I have a, a, a kind of a system that I work out when people come to me and they need to vent, I have to I, I find out and, and, I, and I'm not so, quite so so blunt as that, but I, I, I try to figure out if they're just needing to vent or if they're wanting to solve the problem. And I'll let them vent. But at some point I'm going to get to the point now, what would you like to do about this? Because this, I'm not going to listen to it anymore and I'm not going to have more sessions about this unless you have a desire to, to remedy this situation. 
The other thing that I will do is if someone comes in with, with a, a really negative report, so-and-so does it, I say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're talking about George, right? Yeah. Okay, just a minute. Go over to the phone, pick up the phone. What are you doing? I'm calling George. Why are you calling George? I think he needs to get down here. We need to get this resolved. I've only had a couple of people stay in my office at that point. Most of the time we're not interested. Most of the time we're wanting to vent. But sometimes we're just wanting to pass it on. Did you know? Or do you know? Again, you come down to the point where James tells us, the real judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. There's only one real judge. And that is the Lord. Only, only the Lord is truly righteous. Only the Lord is truly holy. Only the Lord is truly just. And when I say truly, meaning completely, totally. There's only one that has that credential. There's only one that is able to save or to destroy. Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Judge. Now this puts everything into another whole other picture to look at. I don't have time to go into it this morning really, but the reality is, is that with Jesus as both Savior and Judge, when He saves us, something has happened. And it's the most He's taken our judgment on Himself. As a result, I am seen as innocent. Not guilty. No blame. I'm actually at a point because of what Christ has done. If I receive His grace, what Christ has done, I am at peace with God. I'm no longer an enemy to God. I'm invited to sit at His table. I'm invited to, to be a child of God. I'm invited to be an heir of God. And a joint heirs with Jesus and sharing eternity. Such amazing things happen because the one who has the authority to judge has chosen to take his judgment, for my judgment on himself. We've sung about it multiple times this morning. Perfect message for the, the, the singing this morning. And as a result, we have this picture of, of, of understanding the God that loves us. God so loved that He gave His only Son. And then it says in Ephesians 3 through, uh, 1, chapter 1, 3 through 14, you could read it all, but it's that before the foundation of the world, He had this all put together. Before the foundation of the world, it says He had it all put together. He knew the end and we say it in another Scripture. It says He knows the end from the beginning. I know there's different opinions about how that all works, but the reality is, is that He does know. He is omniscient. There isn't anything He doesn't know. Lee Duncan, who is a pastor in Mississippi, uh, he said, uh, said this. He said, what I've really wanted 
a shared understanding that we are all broken, lost, and need a Savior. He says, what I, want, what I want my church to understand is that we are all broken, every one of us. There's none of us without sin. We are all lost without Christ until we come to Christ. And as a found person, we are in a growing experience, a lifetime of growing. Different place, different point for every person. So we can't judge. And we all need the Savior. And he put a phrase to it that has just captivated me this week. He calls it a judge-free zone. A judge-free zone is where everybody knows they're broken, lost, and need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is the one who has the authority to give life or to destroy. Therefore, He is Lord. And as a result of coming to Him, He says, we are allowed to sit at His table. And part of that picture is the communion. And so as we come to the table this morning, I ask the ushers to come forward. We'll pass out the emblems, hold them until we've all been served, and we'll share together.
to the holy of holy. Take the coal, cleanse my lips, here I am. Take the coal, cleanse my lips, here I am. Reading from Matthew chapter 27. Matthew records, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemathot sapakani. That is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. One of the other accounts in the Gospel says, He cried out and said, It is finished. And he yielded up his spirit. Verse 51 of chapter 27, And behold, The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. An amazing thing. Heavy, multi-layer curtain woven together, stitched together in such a way that it was inseparable. Hung every couple of inches by rings at the top. Tore from top to bottom. No man did that. I can't imagine what the the priests on duty were thinking at that point. I imagine they exited rather quickly. Because you see, they couldn't lay li- they couldn't lay eyes on the Holy of Holies. Only a high priest could do that, and he wouldn't have been in there at that point in time. And so they probably exited very quickly. From top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after the, after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. And it goes on to talk. The centurion looked and said, Surely this must be the Son of God. The reason why I went to this scripture was obviously because of the song that we just sang. We are invited into the holy of holies through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is an amazing thing. We are a priesthood of believers. No one priest higher than the other. And therefore, we are all engaged in this and invited in. And I think of, of, of what uh, W.A. Tozier wrote in one of his, his devotionals. He said, Christ did not die on the cross for us to catch a glimpse of the Holy of Holies. You see, the, cur- the, 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 the curtain is torn and it's rent. So if we were to go by standing out in the holy place where we might be allowed... We go by and we catch a glimpse of the Holy of Holies and be, whoa, so amazed and so blessed. And Tozer said, Christ didn't die for that. Minor, quick shot. He died so that we could stand in the Holy of Holies and be blessed by God. 
Isn't that an amazing thing? What Christ has done for us. For everyone who has confessed with his mouth and believed in his heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, 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 and he acts on that in his life. Jesus has invited him into the Holy of Holies. Every one of us. And he did it because he emptied himself and became flesh. That's what the bread represents. He became flesh. Not only was in the sense of him becoming flesh, but it was the idea that he became literally man, human. It says in Philippians that not only did he empty himself, but he became a man. He became flesh and bone to in order to do what? To go to the cross, die for us. And so Jesus at the Last Supper gave the bread the, the, the symbolism. This is my flesh broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Proof, as much as anything, that he was truly man was represents, represented in the cup. He poured out his blood for us. And the picture of his being pierced and his blood coming out separated from uh, the water of the, uh, around the sack of the heart and, and the reality of, of he's truly dead. His blood has been poured out to the point of death. He died. Literally. He knows all of, the, all of the experience of death, but more than that, He knows all the consequence of sin. We will never know that because He has done it for us. And He said, as often as we share this cup, we do it in remembrance of Him. Father, we come rejoicing And amazed in awe of who you are and what you have done. We thank you that we will know over never know the, the, the wrath, the judgment that we deserve, because you paid it all. And with the words it is finished, indeed finished it to the point where there's nothing for us to bring to the, to the table. To the judgment. Because it's all been taken care of. We rejoice in the Word. It is finished. And even more so, we, as we, we think of that Word, we think of, of I think of, 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 of those looking on thinking, yeah, it's done. He's dead. But we celebrate the resurrection for you told us that we are to share this communion together until you come again, which tells us you are coming again. And we look forward to that day. Even cry out as Paul did clear back at, at the time, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.